there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. A Bible reading is headed, Praise for Spiritual Blessings in Christ. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Good morning. Welcome to Kerry, a place where we have a vision to be flourishing communities of hope. My name is Peter Scott. I serve as a senior pastor, and it's great to be with you as we start a series called Worshipful Lifestyles. And uh, as we do that, if you are a note taker, grab your notes out, get your phone out, time to, uh, time to get ready to engage with what God's going to say to us this morning. And also I thought I'd remind you, we do have podcasts. So if you miss part of the series or you want to hear something again, uh, make sure you go onto the podcast, onto the website where we've got some podcasts. Now... Uh, worshipful lifestyles. We're going to be talking about worship. And over the last few years, the question or the topic that uh, people have brought to me more often than any other is worship. Let's talk about this part of worship, that part of worship. Thank you for that. It's great to be engaging on really important topics. And I hope that through this series, we get to touch on a few of those things uh, that we've been talking about in individual dialogue. And I wonder, where do we start with this? Where do we start with this topic of worship? And I thought, I used to go to a church uh, where they were really big on uh, expressive musical worship. And they'd encourage us to be very animated. And one of the analogies that they drew for us was they said, it's, it's, we're all Aussies. It's like being at the football. 
And when you go to the football, you get loud and you sing and you get animated and you don't care who's around. And, and we should be like that because we're worshipping God. Oh, I thought, okay, let's, why don't we give that a try together this morning? So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to close your eyes with me and we're going to try and get ourselves into, into the worshipful space with a little bit of football thinking. So just come with me into this place. So hopefully you're a football fan and we're at the footy. It's an exciting game. In fact, let's call it grand final. It's grand final, really exciting game. It's, it's a great game, except our team, your team is behind, but, but they're coming back and they're getting closer and closer and they're coming back and it's kind of getting towards the end of the last quarter and you're only a little bit behind. And then through this miraculous passage of play where there should have been some free kicks given, but there weren't, your team still has the ball. And then... the sacrifices senior pastors have to make. If you don't know, I happen to be a Collingwood supporter. I can't believe I managed to put that up on the screen. Did you get the feeling, you football supporters? I didn't hear as much as I thought I would. And I have to say at this point, no, no, we are not playing that again and we're not doing it again this year either, Brendan. Thank you very much. Uh, sitting next to Brendan happens to be the lady who put that clip together for me and you don't know how difficult it was for me to get her to just give us that 15 seconds. She wanted to put a whole lot longer clip in there. Anyway, so what are we... Let's get back to the important stuff. Worship. Some people say there's an analogy with the energy and the emotion of a football game. And I thought, well, that's, a, that's an interesting place for us to sort of start. But I want to move quickly into the big idea to share with you this morning. And the big idea is this, that worship is bigger than we think. Worship is bigger than we think. It's a whole lot bigger than a football game. And we're going to build on that as we go. Uh, so what is worship? If we say it's bigger than we think, what is it? I hope you got a handout as you came in this morning. If you didn't, it looks, uh, it looks like this. Uh, I hope we've got some ushers there. If you'd like a copy of this and you don't have it, just pop your hand up. The usher will bring you one. And, and what it is, it's a, it's a sheet that's got some definitions of worship on it. Uh, now, these are not drawn from a particular Bible verse, um, but they're people who've looked at across the Bible and said, what is worship? What, is it, what does it look and feel like? And there are a number of definitions. We're not going to read them all. But I've got this sheet for you, and on the back, it's blank. And as we go through this morning, and perhaps after you've read these, and as we've talked, I want to encourage you to choose what you think worship is all about, write it on that, and it's something you can stick on the fridge. So I hope that's helpful. But let's look at a couple of them. The first one I wanted to look at of that is on the left-hand side, halfway down, by a guy called Don Sailors, and he says this. Worship presents a vision of life created, sustained, redeemed, and held in the mystery of God. What we do together in acknowledging God schools us in the ways of seeing the world and of being in it. My office is right on the primary school oval here at Cary. And sometimes I sit and I either look out the window, I'll open my door and I'll just sit there and I'll look and I'll, I'll see this crazy mess of kids running around 
And some of them are happy and excited and they're kicking a ball or, or some of them are just wandering around aimlessly. But it's this, this group of people just running to and fro and having a great time. That Parents, that's only at recess. That's not throughout the whole school day. But it's really great to watch that. And I wondered, as I sit in my chair, I'm marvelling at this vision of life, created, sustained, redeemed and held in the mystery of God. I see this vision that schools me in seeing the world through God's eyes. And after I read Don Saylor's definition, I thought, is that worship? As I sit there watching this magnificence of kids running around, is that worship? The other definition I want to draw your attention to that I really like is the one on the bottom right-hand side by a guy called William Temple. I want to read that one to you. He says this, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. I love each of those and putting that together. I almost, almost structured the sermon around that. So there's lots there. I encourage you to look at those definitions and think about it. And what it said to me is that the way we think of worship is really important. The theology of worship is really important. Now, for some, you, you might think, oh, well, hang on, theology, though. Theology and worship, they're kind of like opposites, aren't they? Theology's the, the thinking thing. Worship's the feeling thing. Theology we do with our head, but worship we do with our heart. Well, I actually don't think so. I think that our theology and understanding of worship will show us that it's both of those things together. And it's really important to understand that. So to draw on the Bible to understand our theology, what is worship, I wanted to start with that passage that Lynn read to us from Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Now, incidentally, what Lynn read to us is one sentence in the Greek. Paul is an amazing writer. And what I want to draw out of that passage this morning is a phrase that he uses repeatedly within that one sentence. I don't know if you picked it up. It started in verse 6, or the first time was in verse 6, where uh, Paul says that God chose us and adopted us in Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace. He went on in verse 12 then to say, we were chosen that we might be for the praise of his glory. And finishes in verse 13 and 14, saying, You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, to the praise of his glory. What Paul's trying to say is we have a purpose in life, and it is for the praise of God's glory. We are created to praise him. We are created for worship. And that's crucial to understand that part of theology, that part of what we believe about God and how he structured life. We have been created for the praise of his glory. So worship is a critical part, perhaps the most important part of what we are created to do. You might have heard of a thing called a catechism. Catechisms are a series of questions and answers. It's a way of learning some of the key tenets of the faith. And perhaps the most famous one for Protestants, at least, is called the Westminster Catechism. And the shorter Westminster Catechism has 107 questions. So aren't you glad we don't live a, you know, a few hundred years ago? We had to memorise all of these 107 questions. We're just going to look at the first one, the very first of these questions and answers. 
And it goes like this. The question is, what is the chief end of humankind? And the answer, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I thought we should do that together. So how about I'm going to read that question and then why don't we together give the answer? What is the chief end of humankind? The chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that amazing? And I note, actually, that's a, an old slide I took from another version. Man, in that version, it's humankind. But how amazing that we are for his glory and to enjoy him forever. Let's go just a little deeper into the biblical definition of worship. So there are two, uh, so the Bible that we have, the Old Testament we've got in Hebrew and the New Testament written in Greek. And in those two languages, there are two sets of words that we translate into English as worship. And the first set of words are around uh, prostration and reverence and kneeling before. And I've got a picture here because we don't do a lot of this in our society. So um, this, this is an image of, you can see somebody there at the back sort of prostrating and somebody kneeling. And, and the sets of words in Hebrew and in Greek, they talk about this idea of bowing down, of prostrating ourselves in reverence. That is worshipping. Now you might know that one. That might sort of seem, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's obvious. In Psalm 95, 6, it says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before our Lord, our Maker, for He is God. But the second one perhaps isn't quite as obvious. If you look in Acts 24, verse 14, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's appearing on trial before a guy called Felix. Uh, Felix is the Roman procurator of the province of Judea at the time. And so Paul's on the stand and as part of his testimony that's recorded, he says this, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. In other words, a follower of Jesus. That's what it says in our English translation. But if you look at the Greek there, you could equally translate it like this. I admit that I serve the God of our fathers. So the second category of words is actually around serving. That Worship and service go hand in hand, that when we serve the person who we worship, it's an action, it's an activity. It's a sense of doing both things for the glory of God, both bowing before and serving. So, so I want to suggest this morning that biblical worship is, is bigger than just bowing down. It's certainly bigger than singing. And often, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this, often we refer to, say, the worship team. Well, they're the musical worship team. And we'll come on to worship being bigger than singing. Worship is about how we serve God, the actions and activities that we undertake. In fact, we're called into a worshipful lifestyle that incorporates all of those things. And so this series... We're going to talk about this idea that we're called into a worshipful lifestyle, that it's not just singing, it's not just being reverent, it's actually all of the things that we do to bring glory to God. So over the three weeks, we're going to be talking about this worshipful lifestyle in three places. Today, I'm going to talk about it here at church as we gather together. Next week, we're going to be talking about a worshipful lifestyle at work and play. So it's a place where you spend most of your time. 
Now, when, when I say work, it could, be, uh, it could be study. It could be looking after children. It could be you're unemployed and looking for a job. And when I say play, I mean things like uh, going out for dinner. I mean uh, playing a game, playing a sport, doing craft, whatever it is. Basically, all the things that we do in life that are not church and not the third thing that we'll touch on in two weeks' time, which is a worshipful lifestyle at home. So we're going to be looking at those three areas. And I'm going to start, as I said, with what does it look like to worship at church, this gathering of worship? And the first question I want to ask is, well, what happens during this gathering of worship? What happens during worship? And I'm going to draw a theologian, a guy called Wayne Grudem, and he's got a couple of points, three points that I'm going to outline. The first one is this, that during worship, we delight in God and he delights in us. Isn't that beautiful? We delight in God and he delights in us. Now, I've got some references. I'll get this to come up on the screen. For each of these points, I've got some references. So as you take your notes, you'll be able to say, ah, let me, let me note those down and go and look at them. I'm going to read a couple. But during worship, we delight in God. He delights in us. Psalm 1611 says this, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. As we come into God's presence, we find joy. And Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love and exalt over you with loud singing. He has joy in us. The second point's this, that in worship, we draw near to God and he draws near to us. And there's a couple of references there, but it says quite simply in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he draws near to us. And the third point is the one I'm going to dwell on a little more this morning. Um, there are several other things that happen. Firstly, God ministers to us. And secondly, his enemies flee. And you can see the references there. God ministers to us in worship and God's enemies flee when we worship As I've been preparing this sermon, three words have continued to be put on my heart by the Holy Spirit about worship and about what to just dwell on together this morning. And those three words are the sacred, the mysterious, and transformation. The sacred, mysterious, and transformation. Because in all the reading that I've done, what I see is that as we worship, we end up transformed. And we end up transformed because worship is in the presence of this sacred, holy God. And there's a mystery at work here that's hard to understand. Now, let me unpack those a little more as we dwell on those three words. First of all, the sacred. I was trying to think, what, what in Australian culture do we hold sacred? What, what, can we, what, what analogy can I use for the sacred? And I really couldn't come up with anything very good until uh, Helen, my wife, started telling me about this story that she was reading online this week. And it was a story about a, a vegan lady who had taken her neighbour to court. I don't know if you've heard this. Somebody's definitely heard this. Taken the neighbour to court and failed. Taken it to a higher court and failed. And what this person was trying to do was say, the barbecue smell from next door is affecting me and I don't like it. Now, because it didn't work in court, 
this lady went to the media and said, surely my case will be you know, better held up in the court of public opinion. And then apparently what happened is that there became a Facebook event to have a barbecue on the street outside of her house and about 8,000 people had sort of responded. I don't think the, the event actually went forward, but what it said to me was, perhaps the nearest thing we can find to sacred in Aussie culture is the barbecue. And I thought that is a really sad example and that doesn't come close to what we're talking about with the sacred, but it was a great story, so I thought I'd share it. No, but the point is this, we struggle as Australians, I think, to understand what sacred is. But as children of God and believers in the holy, reverent, awesome creator of the world, we need to fan into flame this idea of the sacred. Perhaps things change for us as we recognise that when we come together for worship, it's a sacred time. A little bit the same with mysterious. So, it's hard to understand exactly how God works. In fact, we don't and we can't. But as I was thinking about mysterious, I had this same sense that we struggle with mysterious. What is, what is mysterious these days? You see, when I grew up, and this is going to date me a little bit, but there were exciting mysteries in the world. Like, did you know the Loch Ness Monster was still around when I was a kid? And Bigfoot and Yeti, they were real things. And the Bermuda Triangle, that was fascinating. And I grew up with these mysteries and, and I just wanted to read about them and absorb more information about them because maybe they were true, maybe they weren't. What, what's going on here? I just had to think about it. And there's this beautiful thing about a mystery that it wasn't clear, but it was interesting and intriguing and exciting. And I thought, oh, I can't use those as examples for the sermon this morning because then I'm sort of saying to people that, well, mysteries, actually, we eventually find out they're not true. But I thought, ah, no. It's just that later on, maybe we find out more about the mystery. And as believers here on this earth now, there's a whole lot of mystery to what we understand and believe about how God works. But one day, when we come into his presence, a lot of that mystery will be revealed. Isn't that exciting? We can live in the mystery, we can absorb it, we can take it in. We can ask ourselves all these questions about mystery like, how does the Trinity work? Or questions like this, why did I fall in love with the person I fell in love with? How does love work? Or how on earth, how on earth can the universe be so big? So much mystery, but I believe that will be revealed one day. The point is this, when we come into a place of worship, there is mystery about how God works. And a big part of that mystery for me is the transformation that we can undergo from the sacred in the mystery into our transformation. Have you ever left a Sunday morning where something's changed? Have you ever left a Sunday morning where Emotions have shifted. Have you left a Sunday morning with more peace? You can't quite put your finger on it. Or perhaps sometime after you've gathered on a Sunday, you've realised you're thinking just differently. Something's transformed. Sometimes we can put our finger on it. Sometimes we can't. There's a mystery of how God works, but he transforms us as we come and worship
Now, I've said before, I'm not talking about worship as musical worship only. So what am I talking about in the service that's worship as we hear this morning together? Well, I'm talking about the whole service. I want to suggest to you that this whole service, this whole time together is worship. And each, each of the parts of our service that we have, that we, we draw them from different parts of the Bible and different examples, but it is all together worship. For example, I've been asked a few times, why do we read the Bible? Why do we read the Bible before the sermon? Couldn't the preacher just sort of, you know, explain this verse and that verse? Because we kind of repeat stuff. And, and my answer to that is this, that God's word, it tells us, is living and active just hearing God's word read out can bring transformation. Another part of the mystery. How does that work? I don't know. But when we read the Bible together, as Lynn read it for us this morning, that's part of our worship. When we have somebody preach to us, we see that many times in the Bible. People teach out of the Bible. We take what is in the scripture, try and relate it to our society, and God somehow talks through that. You know, it's amazing for the number of times that I've talked to people after the service and whoever's been preaching, the people will say, wow, that really touched me. And that somebody else will say, that really touched me. Someone else will say, that's changed me. And I just, I, I can't help but be amazed that God uses the same set of words to touch each person how they need to be touched. That the Holy Spirit can use words that whoever's preaching says. And it has an impact on us individually. Reading the word, listening to the word being taught, that's part of worship. And I like, again, Temple's definition that, that's on this sheet. He says that worship is to feed the mind with the truth of God. Hearing his word, hearing it taught. I'd also suggest to you that worship happens as we respond so there are a number of elements in our service where, where we can be active and it helps us consolidate what God's saying to us. Sarah used this phrase earlier, we're going to worship God with our tithes and offerings. How does that work? Well, it's an action that we get to take as part of worship. It's an action that we get to take to start to consolidate what God is doing in us and through us as we come and we bring him tithes and offerings. We have the Lord's Supper together. We're not going to do that this morning, but we do that regularly together. That is also a place of the sacred and the mysterious where transformation occurs, but it's an action that we're taking and participating in worship. When we pray together, when we reflect, all of these things are part of our corporate worship time together. And of course, singing. Now, I couldn't, couldn't have a series on worship and certainly not worship as we gather without talking about the singing bit. The Psalms are made for singing. I don't know if you were here a month or a few months ago, we had a group called the Sons of Korah. And what they do beautifully is they put the Psalms to song and they actually sing the words of the Psalms and they taught through the Psalms. And it was a wonderful worship service. David says this in Psalm 100, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Throughout the scripture, there's clearly worship happening with music. And for many of us, that's the part where the emotions can be highest. There's, there's this amazing bringing together when we can use our voice and, and perhaps our body and our minds and everything comes together in worship of God. 
It is also the part I get the most comments on, even within the talk about worship, about singing in the service. And so I want to make a couple of, take the opportunity to make a couple of comments. And these are cultural. These are not biblical. These are cultural. Um, Some people like to worship with their arms up, like good old Tim Hawkins. Did you enjoy that? I really like that. So sorry if you didn't like that. We've seen it before, but I think he's really fun. And if you like to worship with your arms up, I want to encourage you to do that. And I've got a suggestion for you. Come closer to the front and come closer to other people who worship like that. Tony, I hope you don't mind being singled out, but I love worshipping near Tony because he has often passionately got his arms up. So if you're an arms up person or you think, oh, I'd like to, but I'm not sure, come and sit near Tony. If you're a clapper, who are you going to sit near? Sarah, that's right. Come and sit near Sarah. Sarah's a clapper. Let's get the clappers coming together. If you like and want to worship in that way, let's do it. Let's get more animated. But I don't want you to feel like you have to either. I would love for our worship at Kerry to be something that we can all enter into in our own way, but enter into it passionately and not passively. It doesn't, hear me clearly, that doesn't mean you have to raise your hands, but it means being engaged in worshipping God. Why? Because we're for the praise of His glory. I also recognise that the environment we're in can have an impact on how we feel about singing together. Some of us like the lights up. Some of us like the lights down. Some of us like it louder. Some of it, you know, it's a bit too loud. Some of us like these songs. Some of us like other songs. And so on that note, at this juncture, I want to say a really big thank you to all of our musicians. To all of our musicians who passionately serve us, knowing that they are out in front of us and that some people like it louder and some people like it softer and some people like this song and some people like that song and some people like this style and some people like another style. Musicians, thank you. Thank you that you have the courage and conviction and passion to lead us. How do I pull all of this together? Well, I don't, but God does and he does it beautifully. Colossians 3.16 says this. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So there's the teaching bit. With all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs. Some of the singing bit. This sort of brings together a lot of what happens in a worship service. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And it leads, that last bit leads into the the last thing I want to cover this morning which is our attitude as we come into worship. It says that we should sing with gratitudes, not critically or complaining, not impassively, not thinking about other things, but sing with gratitude. And so I want to touch on, uh, what have I got here? One, two, about six points. I'll talk about them briefly. Ways that we can cultivate a worshipful attitude So we've talked about thankfulness and Hebrews 12, 22 to 29 repeats that and it presents a glorious picture of what it is to worship together. So if you're a note taker, I'd really encourage you to write that down. Hebrews 12, 22 to 29. And the start of that passage says this. Just picture this. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. Forget about a grand final. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. Wow. 
And later on it says this about the attitude with which you have as you come into that assembly. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So the first part is entering with gratitude and the next part is having reverence and awe. And we touched a little bit on reverence and awe when we talked about the sacred. And this is why I also love the big idea that worship's bigger than we think. Do you know why it's bigger than we think? Because we worship a God who is so much bigger than we can even imagine. Have you thought about the fact that we're in the presence right now of the God who creates sunsets? The God who's created those beautiful starry nights that you get to see sometimes in Western Australia, certainly as you go north. Just this amazing, seemingly infinite expanse. The God who somehow creates 10 little fingers and toes and nose and ear of a newborn baby. Miraculous. Awesome. Let's approach God with reverence and with awe. Temple's definition said to purge the imagination with the beauty of God. Again, I love that. Awe comes when we purge our imagination. We can't imagine how big God is, but he gives us glimpses. The next one is that we can approach God with repentance. Often we think of repentance as turning away from sin, and it is, but I want to suggest to you this morning that as we come to worship, it's turning towards God turning towards this God of awe and reverence who is holy. The next one is humility. A few months ago, we talked about humility. Uh, We're in a series called The Difference Being a Disciple Makes. And we defined one of the definitions we use for humility was this, that it's the face of purity. Humility is the face of purity. What did that mean? Well, it meant having the attitude of desiring what God wants. We can come with a humble attitude to worship, not about what we want, but what God wants. And that moves me into the second last one, having an attitude of love, a love for each other, love for the person doing the things that used to really annoy me until I thought about my attitude coming into worship. Love for those I served before or during or after the worship service. And finally, and I'm moving through this quickly because of time, prayerfulness. It's great to come with a prayerful attitude. You know, it really excites me and encourages me. We pray together at 8.30 before the service. We pray for the service. We pray with expectation. We say, Lord, we're looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. That's been building. This morning we had about 20 people praying together. Can you imagine if we had 50? Would you like to be part of that if we had 100? What about if almost all of us were there in the morning at 8.30 for prayer? preparing for worship, beginning worship, setting ourselves and our hearts on worshipping this God who mysteriously transforms us. I invite you to that, 8.30s, Sunday morning. Worship is bigger than we think. One last point on that before I close. Worship is bigger than we think. I've just gone through a bunch of, hey, here's what our attitude should be. And for some of us, that'll be helpful. For some of us, we'll be, yeah, actually, I should work on that. For others, sometimes we're not in that place. You know, sometimes, I'm going to admit this, confessions of a pastor, sometimes my attitude stinks on a Sunday morning. 
try and hide it really well. Don't know I do a good job. But sometimes we come in and our attitude is not great. And here's what I want to say. God is bigger than that. God can still transform us. As we come to worship corporately like this, something special is at work and that something is called God the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So if that attitude stuff didn't work for you this morning, save it. Listen to the podcast later. Just be aware that God is bigger than that. Worship is bigger than that. No matter where you've come from this morning or how you're feeling, God can touch you and transform you. We are going to move into a time of musical worship now. And we've structured the service, you might know, for those of you who are regulars, a little differently this morning. We're actually going to have four songs all together now. And we wanted to have this extended time because music and musical worship is indeed one of the most powerful times of our worship. And we wanted to give a chance for that to just the Holy Spirit to be at work this morning. We've also created a little bit more space up front. And so as we worship together, I want to invite you, if you would like to, with no pressure, come forward, kneel before God in reverence and awe as you worship. Have your hands raised. Let's do that together. We're also going to have our pastoral discipleship elders and and some of the prayer team just standing off to the side. And and I've asked them to sort of be be worshipping, but also be open if you would like to come up for prayer. They're there so that they can pray with you. Prayer is part of our worship. And we want this to be a space where the Holy Spirit can work in whatever way the Holy Spirit chooses. So if you would like to pray for anything, come up and speak with them. Worship's not about how we feel. It's about coming before God because we are for the praise of His glory. Let's allow Him to draw near to us as we look to draw near to Him. Let's pray together as we enter this time of worship. Heavenly Father, we are for the praise of your glory. Thank you so much for worship. Thank you for the opportunity to purge our imaginations with your beauty. Father, we pray that our hearts this morning would grow more open to your love so that we might draw near to you and you to us. Help us delight in you and to know that you actually delight in us, to be amazed that you could delight in us. And I pray that as we worship now that we will enter your mystery, that we will recognise and realise we are in a sacred, holy, amazing place, not because of the building, but because we are in your presence. We look forward to you working deeply and profoundly and transforming our lives. Hallelujah. For the praise of your glory. Amen.